Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I am Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the team here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we tackle the biggest question in food. How the hell do you get into the hardest to get into restaurants? We are going to hear from some Eater editors about their tips and tricks. And then Dan and I are actually going to go out in the field to test a theory of mine. And then later in the show, we will get into this week's biggest food stories, including some crazy seagull behavior on the Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. A nitpick thing I have with cocktail culture. Uh, Yelp being super duper shady. If you love the show, please tell a friend. That's all we want. Just tell one friend that you love it. Eaters Digest. Also, send us an email, digest at eater.com. To tell us how you're feeling and if there's something you want us to talk about. Let's do it. So, Dan. Yo. Everybody has their tips and tricks and hacks and little strategies for how to get into the hardest to get into restaurants, the places with the crazy long waits. Everyone's got uh, their tips. Here are some of our favorites from the experts at Eater. Just go on a Monday. Not everyone loves dining out on Mondays, but I think it's kind of nice. It's got a little treat at the beginning of the week. Typically, I uh, eat out later than most people. Uh, I'm kind of a night owl. Uh, and so, generally speaking, my easiest tip is to show up early or for people like me to show up late. You're just going to have to make peace with sitting at the bar. Max three people. Just make it a little easier on yourself. Go on a day where everybody else is watching TV. So, Super Tuesday, election night, the Super Bowl, things like that. What I recommend doing is talk to the bartender. Tell them that you are looking for a seat. Is there any people that they think are kind of nearing the end of their meal, winding down, any specific place you should stand? I simply used the alert notification on a service known as Resi, and they send you a little push notification and it tells you when someone has canceled the reservation. And it usually works out really good on rainy days. Always have a backup so that you're not standing in the West Village scrolling through your phone. It's really, truly incredible. Uh, if it rains, people will cancel their reservations literally anywhere. Uh, see if you can find an email from the restaurant and say, hey, I'm in from out of town. You are one of the top places on my list. And see if they're the kind of place that will be open to that. Dan, I know you pride yourself in your ability to talk your way into restaurants and to get into restaurants in general. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us rapid fire some of your favorites? These tips are all great. I would say don't use any single one of them. Use them all together. Have them all ready to go. That is my first point. Okay. Second point, I can't remember what the quote was, but there's a quote from Game of Thrones where Melisandre the magician, the red woman, talks about magic is about doing all the work ahead of time and then looking effortless in the moment. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just a good motto for life. That's a good motto for life. Be prepared. 
a lot of the work for getting into restaurants should be done ahead of time. It is not good to think of a city with hard to get into restaurants as like, I want to go anywhere. Pick four or five that you want to get good at getting into. And then establish yourself in those places. Make sure you're freaking wonderful. Huge tip. Mm -hmm. I don't really know if I've added that much to this, but I think in general, one of my overall approaches to life is to ask people for things when you don't need anything from them. Love it. So like once you're already in a place, once you're already in the nightclub, that's when you establish yourself as a person to know with the bouncer. Not when you're like, hey, bud, let me in. Gotcha? Yes. Another great life lesson. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So I have this theory, which is very relevant, given that we're in the dog days of summer, and this is the one that we're testing out on the show today. Okay. So the theory is, in the summertime, in rich neighborhoods, in wealthy neighborhoods, the people who live there go away. So in New York especially, they go to the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are other examples in L.A. or Austin or San Francisco or Chicago. So my theory is if you go to a neighborhood where the residents are wealthy, the restaurants will be easier to get into. So like if you go to Bushwick right now on a Saturday, it's jam-packed because people don't have a ton of money in Bushwick. If you go to they're Tri- younger. They're younger. Yeah. If you go to Tribeca, people are older. They have lots of money. One of the most expensive zip codes in New York. Mm-hmm. Easier to get in. What is unique about Tribeca, though, it is not slammed with tourists. And not slammed with tourists. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so we came up with a list of five restaurants in different neighborhoods, yep. all pretty wealthy neighborhoods that yep. we thought would be uh, good case studies that are very all very busy. Uh, Atla, which is close to me, is usually about 30 to an hour to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, in the West Village, Via Carota and Isodi, both super, super hard to get into. Probably the hardest. Hardest in the city. city. Yeah, Pastis, which is newer. It's a reopened version of an old famous restaurant Mm -hmm. uh, that is in meatpacking, which is slammed with tourists. Oh, yeah. Big time. And then your darling. Frenchette in Tribeca, which was the inspiration for this theory uh, because it's in a neighborhood that just, I think, completely empties out on the weekends. All right, Amanda. So let's (laughs) let's do what we do best, which is leave the office and, and go to restaurants. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Um, so it is 7 o'clock-ish, 7.15. Yeah. We are in a cab on our way to stop one pasties. We are going to hit a bunch of different restaurants and see if we get in. Oh, uh, yeah, this is fine. Hi. 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 what the wait is for two right now? Wait for two? Do we have a reservation? No, no, just walking in. I can do something on the patio right now if you like. Really? Okay, okay cool. Just wondering. Thank you so much. The theory worked. You could walk in... 7.22 on a Saturday night, and you're in. That was a win. That was a win, total win. So then we hopped into a cab and made our way to Isodi, which Daniel, tell me what you think. I, I think yeah. it's one of the hardest reservations in the city. Yeah, it's like a two, three hour wait, guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed. We don't have a reservation. We were wondering if we could walk in for two. Just give me one moment and then sure. I'll get you a... An estimate. An estimate. Bar seats, okay? We waited outside for a bit while he checked for bar seats. How long did he quote us? An hour and a half? Yeah, I mean, is less. that's 9 p.m. Isodi, Saturday night. That is primo. If, I if we was... weren't doing this, we would go have a drink and wait and maybe even get called in at like 8.45. So that's what I'm saying. Like, even though yeah. it's still an hour and a half, that is out an hour and a half against what I would have expected to be three hours. Yeah, 7.30 at Isodi, I would have expected over two. So maybe you're, you're two See? for two. From there, we went to another West Village hotspot. Maybe the 
West Village's hottest spot. Hottest spot, yeah. Uh, Via Corota, where um, you go a fair amount, and the wait is always insanity, like two, three hours. I didn't have high hopes for this one because <laughs> I feel like it's kind of insurmountable. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter what, like, you, you could be a blizzard and there's still a wait there. And even when we got there, there was like a, a group group walking in right ahead of us. Yeah. It was a guy and a girl, and the girl said, uh, absolutely not when she heard how long the wait yeah, was. She's, yeah, all That's I heard all was really absolutely heard. not. <laughs> Initially, we were quoted three and a half hours. So three and a half? Yeah. And then she kind of walked that back a little bit. So what did they tell you when you walked in and asked for a table for two? Okay, so she said she didn't have anything for two until 11, which is three hours. Three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half hours from now. But she did say that if we were to just hang out, have a drink, that something would probably open up because she said, quote, a lot of people aren't coming back tonight. So I feel like it's actually way easier than we would have thought. It was a soft three and a half. Soft three and a half. Very soft. According to her list... Technically three and a half, but according to her ninja maitre d skills, like I bet you're waiting around for 20 minutes before you actually get to eat. At this point, I was feeling pretty confident. Okay. So then we walked from Via Corota and headed over to Adla. This place is slammed always. But that night, they had a table right away. We only reserve the inside, the uh-huh. patio is first come first serve. Oh, yeah, so it gives us double a restaurant. Yeah, yeah right when we walked we, up, they clearly had some tables outside. We talked to the host, and she even said the neighborhood felt a little uh, a little dead. Yeah, because rich people live there. But even in the neighborhood, like, you see how it's a little more quiet. This is prime time, too, so I would say. What is our score right now? I'll give you a point on pasties. We could have sat down immediately at pasties. I'll take half a point. Half on a point on Isodi. I'll give you yeah, half a point on Isodi. We're still gonna have to wait an hour and a half, which was low for Isodi, but still like. Via Corota, another half a point. Half a point for Via Corota. Yeah, because she very strongly implied we were sitting down soon. A full shiny point for Atla. Full point. All right, but the fifth stop to me was the most important because this is the one that you based this entire theory you off inspired of. Inspired the theory. And it's not that I wanted you to be wrong. You did. No, I didn't. I did not want you to be wrong, but. Uh, I, it was certainly the stop that I was most looking forward to. And we went to, uh, we hopped in a cab and we headed over to Frenchette. My sister had her bachelorette in Tribeca last year and the whole neighborhood was empty. It was in August. The whole neighborhood was completely empty. Mm-hmm. And it's because everyone is so rich in Tribeca that they just leave. And that's what made me think, oh, this is a theory for restaurants. And then I went to Frenchette last month and it was like not that busy. Mm. So people were, you know, it was still it was still full, but they told me that there were more walk-ins than usual. Uh, we showed up to Frenchette. Oh uh, yeah, this is fine. And there was outdoor seating available, and it was a nice night out. I was uh, pretty surprised. But there's also a crowd of people waiting. There was. It wasn't a for sure. Just because you see an open table, it doesn't mean that there are open tables. It's 8.15, we were standing outside Frenchette. It looks like there are open tables on the patio behind us. So I'm feeling really good. But I also see a lot of people loitering. Yeah, bad sign. Bad sign. Bad sign. Where did we end up having dinner that night? Yeah, I mean, we ate at Frenchette. Yes. Because there were seats. (laughs) We could sit down right away. The Mater D even confirmed your theory. Uh, Fairly unprompted. A little prompted. Yeah, pretty prompted. I mean, I asked him, and he said... 
August, specifically an August Saturday? Yeah. Yes, that all the all the fancy people in the neighborhood are off for the weekend. And he said that he used to live in Williamsburg, and there was a real shift when the neighborhood got fancy because all of a sudden in the summertime, you could go to the best restaurants for Saturday night dinner and for brunch because people got rich enough that they were going to the Rockaways and the Hamptons. So at what point did you call him ahead of time to get him to say that? <laughs> I guess in the end of this, I would say that you were more right than not right. More That's right than not sure. right is fair. I was expecting a couple of these places to be porous, Atla, because I'm close to there, mm-hmm. so I'm familiar with mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think the, the, the one that really proved your point for me was Esodi yeah. because we had already established that that neighborhood was uh, filled with tourists. Yeah. And at that, and Esodi is a culinary destination, is a place where someone who knows what they're doing comes to New York, that may be the only restaurant they want to go to. I wish we had had time to actually test out Via Corota. That's the one where I think if we had gotten to sit, it would have proven the theory. Yeah. Because she gave us this crazy long quote, mm-hmm. but then kind of wink and a nod said, "I, you know, like, oh, just hang out. You can probably get a table. Yeah. I think that would really show you mean happened? you wish we ate some food there instead of running around a bunch of restaurants <laughs> in New York with a microphone and just asking them how long it would take to sit down and then In leaving? retrospect, it might have been a more <laughs> enjoyable time. <laughs> uh, no, I agree with you. But I think um, based on her wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I have faith as well that we would have gotten in there quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I think moral of the story is uh, if you were listening to this in August and you live in a city <laughs> with popular restaurants, go to them. Yeah. We'll be right back with the biggest stories of the week. All right, Amanda, now in the show, we are going to run through the biggest food stories of the week. We and sure we are. are going to separate them with a little sound of a ding like this. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Uh, what you got first? All right, Daniel. Yo. It is August, <laughs> prime beach season. One of the nuisances of going to the beach and eating at the boardwalk is seagulls. For sure. Yeah. Okay. There are some towns in New Jersey where the seagulls have become such a nuisance that people don't know what to do. The carts selling food play the crazy sounds of birds in distress so birds don't come by. They put spikes on the top of the food carts. Uh, it's, it's become an issue. Yeah. They say that they see food taken from children on a daily basis and that there are swarms and swarms of gulls. It's a crazy thing about living in the city is that like I know that that's a thing and it's just not something I've experienced in forever. Like sure. a seagull has taken my food once in my life, I think. Yeah. Well, if you go to these seaside towns, yeah, you're dealing with it on the regular. It's a sad, it's very sad, but it, it's kind of one of those things that like I respect how awful it is. And it's it's just like when something that's cute and it's part of the landscape starts really destroying your yeah. life. And it's, it's kind of oh, yeah. hard for outside people to be. Because you're Definitely. like, oh, cute, whatever. Seagulls, <laughs> who cares? But if it, they're always attacking they're you. They're causing irreparable damage. Uh, I think they're yeah, to the tourism dollars. Anyway, so two stories. Wow. One story. I thought we were going to have to scrounge some content no, out no, of no, just no, that no. statement. No, one story <laughs> All right. from the magazine Science. There mm-hmm. was a study done with seagulls where they found that if you stare directly at the seagull... <laughs> It is less likely to approach you and steal your food. Wow. They did a study where they had some people stare at the gull, and they mm. all, all the people had bags of chips, and they had people not stare at the gull. Yeah. And you were way more likely to have your chips stolen if you were not looking at it. So good thing to know. It's like, you know, out in the wilderness, like, you know what to do when you see a bear. Yeah. It's like when you see a gull, stare at it. When you see a bear, you don't stare at it. 
I think you make yourself really big. It depends on what kind of bear. Grizzly and brown is See, different. This is so. This is why people get mauled. There's so many bears. Yeah, you gotta you gotta know you gotta your bears. Know your, it's like I feel like you need. Uh, there there's so many. I feel like you know to open a kitchen in New York, you go through months of food service training, and yet it's just like old wives' tale what you're supposed to do for every bear. But, and one of them's going to kill you, and one of them's not. But when you go to places with a lot of bears, they do try to have information around. Okay, like you feel undereducated because you're not. Really have at you risk. started informing your young children on uh, what? I don't take them to bear places. <laughs> Have no you way. taught them to make eye contact with no. seagulls? Uh, I will. Should, I would love I, for you Next to time I go to the beach, out. I will. So okay. second story. One of these towns in New Jersey is fed up with the gulls, and they've come up with an interesting solution. Mm-hmm. They're hiring birds of prey yeah. to roam the skies from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. I love the use of hiring. Yeah. They're hiring? They're, well, they the birds are, you know. They're releasing them. They are hiring a company right. that will release birds of prey yeah. to prowl the skies for 12 hours a day, every day, all summer long. Oh, my God. Don't you love it? Don't you love the idea of going to the beach and they're just like hawks and owls flying around screeching? Well, I love the idea of seeing some really cute kid about to take a bite of his hot dog. A seagull just descends and everyone's like, oh, this is so sad. And then a massive bird just, just, yeah. <laughs> phew. <laughs> yeah. Just witnessing the murder of a no bird. No offense to our audience that are very sensitive about bird death. Right, because seagulls are, I think seagulls are kind, right? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they actually hurt the seagulls. They just scare them. The birds of prey? They don't hurt the seagulls. It's just their presence. They're just bird consultants. They're like, they just fly around and them being there yeah. dissuades the seagulls right. from Like scarecrows. Hanging. Yeah. Right. Cool. I mean, this is the beginning of a horror film, though. Sure. Like, they're not getting back in the cages. Yeah, and then they have to get bigger birds. Then <laughs> bigger <laughs> birds. I feel like every week something new comes out about how shady the delivery business is. Yes, every week. And there's a good one this week. Um, so Yelp is partnered with Grubhub, which is one of the leading delivery platforms. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, same company as Seamless. Yeah. And uh, Grubhub and Seamless have been in under fire for... Charging restaurants for canceled orders. Yeah. They're not doing the best right now, public image wise. But a story came out this week about how Yelp has, for each restaurant, a phone number on the page for like once you've, you know, you've seen some reviews, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. great reviews. You're like, this is where I'm going to order from right now. There's an option to call the restaurant to place an order. What is happening when you use the number provided by Yelp is it's actually a dummy number that routes the call through Grubhub's system to give Grubhub and then Yelp a little kick yeah. back of your delivery. So and now not one, but two companies are taking a cut of this delivery order that you are placing with a restaurant. And they're not even doing anything for No, it. Yelp's not doing anything. Like, it's such bullshit. Yeah. Uh this is wild. I mean, it's just like, it's such a conflict of interest. Yeah. There's just so much of this. It's really shady. It, it's hard to know what to do as a consumer because um, sometimes you call a restaurant directly, even not using these numbers, like using the real number, and you feel like they would much rather you just entered it on mm-hmm. Seamless because mm-hmm. it's annoying to take your call. But then I feel like, well, now seamless is taking a cut of this and if i do it directly then they won't take a cut blah 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 like what's the right thing to do i think this with open table as well because i know 
open table takes a cut of every restaurant reservation I'm making. Like they charge a dollar to the restaurant. Yeah. So I should just call the restaurant and make it with them directly. But I'm also lazy. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I think you have to look at the volume of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at a neighborhood place, you know, someplace that you where you know the people, uh, I would take time and go ask. Yeah. At some point, and be like, "Would you rather me just put this be stuff like, in?" What through, is the best way to do this through seamless? And with Open Table, I would do I would do the same thing. But if it's a McDonald's or if it's a big well, sure. high volume, even a lot of the New York delis, which just do such massive business, very rarely are mm-hmm. people who answer the phone invested in the bottom line of the, well, re- a lot bottom of, line of the restaurant. A lot of restaurants, they don't speak English, too. Right. So like, they're annoyed having to try to figure out what you want Yeah. when I could just do it over Grubhub, but then Grubhub's taking their cut. The Yelp inclusion is just like, ridiculous. It's bonkers. Like, you guys did not have to get involved. <laughs> but they can do so much for a restaurant's visibility. So yeah, they are involved in a sense, you know. Like if you want no, business, no, they are involved. They just yeah. didn't have to <laughs> stick their little grubby fingers in there. This is one of the, the shadiest uh, things I've heard Yelp do. They were charging for premium placement at one point. I think that was shadier. Yeah, there were all these stories about them pressuring small business owners to advertise with them so that their ratings could go up yeah. or they could take care of things when they get like one star reviews, and that was shadier. Like That's referrals, some shit. referrals and kickbacks are happening all over the internet in yeah. all kinds of ways. I take it back. You were right, but but no, but it's also like I I just don't appreciate that that they're in the mix here. Well, if you believe the stories and that Yelp is slipping a little, you know, mm-hmm. it's important to get their hooks in while they can because Ugh. they need some vacation homes. Just squeezing the little guy. Daniel, there's a story that's making the rounds this week. It's an Ask Polly column. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's the advice column from New York Magazine. It is about, it's from a woman whose in-laws are very intolerant to her mushroom allergy. Mm -hmm. So she's allergic to mushrooms in a very serious way. She will go to the hospital if she has one. She could die. And she's asked her in-laws to stop serving mushrooms at family functions, and they basically refuse. (laughs) What? They They refuse? They refuse. They're like, sorry, we're gonna keep serving mushrooms? Pretty much, yeah. Why, they just hate her? I think that is what it is. Yeah. Because her question to the advice columnist is, what do I do? How did I cause this rift? How do I fix the rift? And it's like, they hate you, obviously. Mm -hmm. I also wonder if there's something else going on. Which is? What what else could be going on? Like, maybe there's something else wrong with her, and that's why they're trying to poison her and kill her. But that would still mean they hated her. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Uh, One thing that makes me think of, and this is the thing I don't like about myself, but when I'm at a dinner... Uh, especially if it's a restaurant I'm excited about trying and they have you know some interesting menu items and I'm with someone who has allergies, not so much a nut allergy. A nut allergy, I feel like, is just, it's stat- it, I get it, I'm used to it, mm-hmm. but it's like when someone is allergic to eggplant or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, can we, I can't do the eggplant dish or whatever. I just, I hate that person at the time. I hate them and I feel bad about it because it's not their fault, but I just- Yeah, it's I'm, definitely a personal failing of yours. Right. I'm just saying it is like because I'm such a good person, I think that it's uh, if we were looking to justify the family's behavior at all, Mm -hmm. like there is there could be a little bit of good in them, which is just like the part of them that's like me, which is just frustration because they can't eat mushrooms because they love mushrooms so much. One funny thing was the husband. <laughs> okay, the, you want to move on? No, the husband said that they weren't super into mushrooms before. But mm-hmm. now there's like mushrooms Whoa. in every dish. Okay. 
So it's not even like they're mushroom obsessives mm-hmm. and she's keeping them from their one true love, which is mushrooms. Yeah. Hey, Dad, can we talk about dinner tonight? <laughs> uh, we didn't we didn't used to serve all these mushrooms. Like, what is up? Honey, your wife is really, <laughs> your, your, your mother is really into mushrooms now, okay? It has nothing to do with your wife. That, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's interesting, I guess. Has anyone ever tried to poison you? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I you? guess you wouldn't know. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that a lot of people, I think that a lot of people who cook chicken at home touch it and then touch other shit because they're not clean enough. And like oh, yeah. part of them knows this could be a case of salmonella. Sure. But they're like, "Oh, I've already started this dish, so mm-hmm. I don't I'm not going to stop now." Yeah. I've never done that. I've never rolled the dice of salmonella. Sounds like you have. <laughs> <laughs> looks like looks like you have. Well, I hate my brother's girlfriend. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Dang. I love Catherine. Daniel, there was a story out this week about how all of those quote unquote biodegradable bowls mm-hmm. that they use at a lot of these fast casual chains actually are not biodegradable. Yeah. Sucks. Sucks. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, don't know. I don't know what the take is. Just like, oops, whoops-a-daisy. Why aren't they biodegradable? They just have a lot of bad chemicals. The molded fiber bowls were coated in <laughs> PFAS compounds, which yeah. is a class of fluorinated compounds that don't biodegrade naturally, mm-hmm. sometimes called forever chemicals. <laughs> so not a good look for those fast casual chains that are using these quote-unquote biodegradable bowls. Also... There was a story out in the New York Times a couple of months ago about how even when people do use these bowls, they don't get rid of them properly. No. Like they did a study where the, I think, uh, dig in or dig now, right. hire these consultants to come in to try to assess how people were throwing <laughs> things away and how everything was going. And yeah. like everybody was doing it wrong. They were putting things in the wrong bins. And when you take it back to your office, you recycle it wrong. And it's a mess. I like it when you see three receptacles. Oh, know. yeah. It's great, but I just watch people use them, and nobody gives a shit. No. No one cares at all. No. I love, on the New York City subway system, they say Mm. that all of the trash cans get Mm hand-sorted. So you can throw anything you want there. So you throw your cans, your newspapers, your food. By somebody. They realized it was cheaper to hire a firm to sort all the garbage than to have separate bins because people put the wrong stuff. I love math. Uh, This reminds me a lot of the paper straw story that just came out of the UK. Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. McDonald's in the UK subbed out all of their plastic straws for quote-unquote recyclable, uh, biodegradable paper straws. Because the government banned um, single-use plastic, right? (laughs) Right. The problem was McDonald's had to make the paper straws really thick so they could still work with the milkshakes. And now they are no longer, they no longer are recyclable. Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. But they still break down. I think it's funny because I think with a lot of these things, it's more about the image for the company than it is for uh, yeah. This virtue signaling that like, oh, we really care, and like actually, your your thing is coated in chemicals. Yeah, like, did you get the biodegradable bowls? Yeah, we got them. One issue, Uh, they're covered in something called the forever chemical. Ah, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's fine. Just roll them out. It's okay because seventy percent of our people are just throwing. Ninety percent of people are just yeah, they're just throwing them on the ground outside. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. I feel like fancy cocktails in restaurants are now uh, a fact of life. Yeah, but it hasn't always been the case, right? Like it. Nope. Started growing 
post like 2010. That's when we felt the cocktail revolution. Sure. And you go to some cities and you go to restaurants and they don't have cocktails or they have very basic cocktails. Mm -hmm. And you think, wait, what's going on? What happened? (laughs) What do you mean? Did I go back in time? (laughs) A thing that really frustrates me in restaurants is when you're reading through the cocktail menu and the cocktails have insanely long names, like a long walk through the woods or like strawberry fields forever and ever and ever, right? (laughs) Because then you have to say it to the bartender? Well, I don't, but I'm just curious. Like, What What do you say then? I pick a word or I pick the spirit that is central. You're like, you know, this one with the mezcal (laughs) and the long name that I refuse to say. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm being punky. I just don't like sitting there and being like, like, it's just too many words to say. Like no menu item should be that. No menu item is that long either. Like yeah. you would just be like, I'll have the beef. So I like to do that. I'll have the strawberry one or I'll have the mezcal one. I think that that is enough. How do you do it? Do you you regurgitate the whole long name? I don't think it comes up yes, it so does. frequently yes, it for does. me because I've never thought about it. I just say the name of the cocktail. Can I tell you my pet peeve about cocktails? You just say the whole name of the cocktail? Yeah. Like you will be like, I'll have whispering in the woods alone. Yeah. I just, I don't. Maybe it's happened to me once. I don't know. That, that is what so is, fun. You go to we go to the same restaurants. What? Maybe I just go to the wine list at those places. Like, and you're because a, you're so desperate not to say the long thing that no, you just skip, just skip, skip. Like, this is not skip, a, skip, skip. A thing I've encountered in my life that much. What is an example of a restaurant with a long cocktail? <laughs> with name? a long cocktail. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, red red paperclip where I was. Haven't been there yet. Not cool enough. That doesn't mean that you haven't experienced this. <laughs> When I go there, the, I heard the whole red paperclip drinks program is bizarre, right? Like they don't yeah. have a they don't have a wine list. They say this guy JP is the wine list. You have to talk to him. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. <laughs> like yeah, like that's cool. I love the idea of talking through my wine selection, but I would also like to look at a list and see prices and see what kinds of <laughs> wines you guys have. <laughs> Especially if I care about wine and really know wine, yeah. then I really want to dig. Well, in. then you should really meet JP. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I'm psyched to go and talk to JP, but also, could I have some reading material? And also, great restaurant. Go check it out. Don't mean to trash them too hard. I've got an example for you. This is not the best example because this is not that obnoxious. But I was at this restaurant, Wayla, last night uh, or a few nights ago, a Thai place. And the drink that both of us ordered was the Land of Smiles. And I just hated saying that. Oh, How would so you say you that? Don't, so it's not just length, it's it's cutesiness. You just don't like cutesy as cocktail I, names. As I say, this isn't the best example. Usually they'd be four times the length of this. It'd be like a four. But at least it's not like racist or punny. I'm not you saying know? they're problematic. It's not like tie, I actually would t- rather tie this me up at like a Thai restaurant. <laughs> like that cocktail exists, you know? <laughs> like there's so many worse things than you having to say, what was it? Land of? Land, the Land of Smiles. The Land of Smiles. Yeah, like, I'll have the land of smiles. Like, what? <laughs> See, I'm like, well, you sound ridiculous. <laughs> okay, can I tell you my yeah, pet peeve? Yeah, you can tell me okay. your pet peeve. What is- I would love, I love when cocktail lists, like, I know this makes me sound like a kindergartner, it can imply to me what the cocktail is going to look like. So with drawings mm. is especially helpful. Mm-hmm. But also if it just says served up 
or mm-hmm. served on the rocks or mm-hmm. served over crushed ice or something like that. And so many just say, you know, whatever the silly cocktail name <laughs> is. And then they list five ingredients. Yeah. And if it says soda, that implies like, okay, this is going to be a little bit of an aperitif. I get that. But oftentimes it just lists ingredients and I don't really know what I'm going to get. a hundred percent right. Yeah. Because I feel like when you get something that's on ice or you get something that's carbonated or it's like in the little coop, which yeah. is the elevated vessel. Sure. It's like, I feel like cocktail-wise, it's the equivalent of ordering a thing and not knowing if it's going to be a salad. Yes. You know, like, it's ridiculous because that you're you're getting a whole different texture. Like, you're yes, getting a whole has, different cocktail experience. It has gin. I yeah. know it has gin, but is it like a martini? Yeah. Or is this going to be something that's a little lighter and not going to give me a stroke? There's a weird world of cocktail obsessives who would say that it is obvious based on the ingredients and the flavors sure. what it's going to be. But 75% of the audience is not going to know. No, no, no. I don't I don't care what those people think. Yeah. Um, I don't think I think everything should be well described. I mean, when you go to a restaurant and there's pictures of the food, you're like, "Oh, that's basic, but also give me these pictures." Yes. You know, like uh, there's a like restaurant Like tiki bars are so great because oftentimes there's just a little picture. You're All like, "Oh, it takes I is see. a little crayon." I and- just <laughs> I just want a drawing of my drink. <laughs> restaurants as a whole try to be so uh, magical and so kind of mystic and and I think they can all tone it down a little bit and just the brilliance should come through in what is served not how much of it is is kept from the diner ahead of time yeah make it make it easy make it easy that's right. what I'm saying too make it easy make my drink can just call my cocktails one word is that so hard is that so hard <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah, you're like make it easy. My point's really smart, and I'm like make things one word, and you're like, oh, what a, this guy's just a pedantic. Anyway, no, your point is great. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Eater's Digest. We really hope that you liked it. If you did like it, it would be awesome if you could tell a friend about it. Tell a friend, and then also tell them to listen to it. Yeah, don't just say it in passing. Shoot us emails at, at uh, digest at eater.com. Great email, actually. And make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content. Next week, we'll be doing something similar, but slightly different. Big thank you to our Eater editors, Serena Dye, Stephanie Tudor, Ryan Sutton, and Sonia Chopra for contributing their tips. A uh, special thank you to Adam Musa, Millie McGinnis, and Ellie Krupnik for all their help putting this show together. Thank you to our producer, Martha Daniel. Thank you for our wizardry of marketing, Zach Kahn. This show has been hosted by Amanda Clute and Daniel Janine. Goodbye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.